Welcome back to A Moment of Bach, Season 4. In this podcast, we take our favorite moments from J.S. Bach's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds, and show you why we think that they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. For the first episode in this season, Alex has chosen the opening movement of the cantata BWV 192, Nun danket alle In the book of Job, we see a story in which God tests the character of Job by putting him through pretty much as much pain and suffering and loss as you could possibly put someone through. In fact, God makes a deal with Satan in this book where Satan basically dares him like, and says that even a man as good as Job would turn from God if enough were taken from him. God allows that to happen to Job, but Job remains faithful. It's because of the strong themes of that 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 book of the Bible has remained relevant and kind of controversial in the sense that it deals with the problem of pain or the problem of suffering, that why would a loving God allow such suffering? The book of Job greatly parallels another story, this one a lot more recent, the story of Martin Rinkart, who wrote the hymn, Now Thank We All Are God. Rinkart was a pastor and deacon at Eilenburg, which happened to be a place of refuge during the Thirty Years' War, which was basically a civil war between German Protestants and Catholics. At least that's how it started. And Martin Rinkart was Lutheran. The city of Eilenburg was a walled city and a fortress, which is why it became a place of refuge. And he took in a lot of people into his own home to protect them from the violence that was happening outside. Even so, the town got sacked three different times. But besides the war, there was also a lot of famine and living in close conditions like that with all these refugees. There were a lot of diseases and many, many people died. In one year, he was said to have conducted 4,000 funerals, one of which was his own wife. And yet the text that he gives us in his hymns are almost always ones that express thanks to God for gratitude for blessings. It seems maybe to modern ears that, that that is kind of silly. Like, how could you thank God for basically a life of suffering? But the worldview included the idea, which modern Christians still subscribe to today, that all things are a gift from God. We hear that in Job, and we hear that in Martin Rinkart's story here too. So now Thank We All Our God is a triumphant, beautiful, and happy hymn. And I mean, it's really an interesting story, the entire 30 years war thing, but we can't get into it too much here because we got to talk about the music. And the music here is really interesting, I think, for a Bach cantata. It's, in some ways, it's just like a typical chorale cantata in structure, but in other ways, it's pretty unusual. First of all, Christian, why are we doing a Thanksgiving song in February? <laughs> I guess is maybe the first question I should have asked. I don't know. The answer is, is that I don't really have a good answer, uh, except for that the Netherlands Bach Society dropped a recording of this cantata just before our Bachtoberfest 
episode. Of course, they're releasing it at a smart time of year, uh, which was a little bit before Thanksgiving, or at least that's a, you know that's an American holiday. But I think they did that on purpose because that's a hymn that we sing a lot in American churches at this time of year because of the American holiday of Thanksgiving. Uh, but that's of course that's November in the United States. But here, this Thanksgiving hymn is of course a song of praise that you could sing any time of the church year. And the words, now thank we all our God, or more literally, now all thank God. Nun danket alle Gott. Bach gives us a chorale fantasia here, but the melody of the chorale fantasia, while it is given to the sopranos, it is not the only thing the sopranos get to sing. When the choir enters, they enter with a freely composed section of material, and then the sopranos move to the melody after that. So let's take a little bit of a look at this introductory material because knowing about it will help you understand what my moment is, which comes later. And if you listened to this and you wanted to guess what my moment was, it is a choir entrance that is unexpected for a Bach cantata opening. That's a hint, but it'll become very clear later. So at the beginning, we get a typical Bach festive leaping woodwind line thing that happens here in this instrumental introduction. And then the choir enters with a blast of the first word, nun, which means now. I love this. I think it's a cool and striking choice by Bach. And it leads me to another interesting bit of trivia about this, which is that the tenor part is lost. And that is because scholars have not found the score of this cantata, but they only have found the parts. And they found all the parts except for the tenor part. And the tenor part had to be reconstructed based around what the other parts were doing. There was a Bach scholar um, named Gunther Raphael. He's the one who made this reconstruction. And having looked at this for, for a bit, I think this is a really good job of this. And it, it includes one kind of bold choice right at the beginning, mm -hmm. right after this word, nun. The tenors have a little solo for two beats, basically. Isn't this strange? I mean, I guess the, the thinking is that it would have to be the tenor being alone there because none of the other parts that have survived have anything on those two beats. So it would just be noon and then nothing for for a good one and a half seconds, which would be very weird. Right. It would be weird. And then the other reason why that makes sense is because later we get other voice parts that have a similar figure to that. The very next bar, the bass is do it. I mean, he right. took... It's an imitative feature. Yeah, he he took it from the next measure. It's It's pretty slick. I think it has to be right. Yeah. There's another tenor entrance later, closer to the end of the movement, that is similar. It happens right after a soprano melody note. And it's it's similarly bold and striking. But then when the other stuff comes in right after, you think like, that actually makes sense that Bach would have done it that way. Yeah, that sounds like textbook, the way he does these chorale fantasias. I wouldn't have even looked twice at this unless I didn't learn that it was reconstructed. 
especially that moment is so just, it's almost like average for him. He, he brings in, sometimes he brings in the melody and the soprano first, and then immediately yeah. voices start, start with the counterpoint underneath in that same measure. So that's, that's expected. Yeah. Another bold choice happens right after the beginning, which is the next line of text, which is mit Herzen, Mund und Handen, with heart and mouth and hand. That is the tenors that, again, fill that space. Although the instruments are playing there, they're just playing short notes on the beat. Yeah, that, that's a little bit more of a choice, you know, because he's, he's bringing that theme in first early with the tenors. Bach may have done that, but, but not I th- necessarily. You know what? I, I understand it because on, the, on first glance, it looks like they shouldn't be saying the second line of text yet because the next three voices come back in with the first line of text. So yeah. it seems too early. But then the, the orchestral texture matches that of what happens later. So those little short notes in the orchestra, bump, bump, bump. So yeah, that's what it is. I'm sure that's the reason. And it, And if you even analyze the chords, especially the bass motion in that section, right when the tenor does the little mit Herzen, Mund und Hand thing. It's perfectly aligned with four bars later when that happens again. The notes are a little lower there in the bass continual part, and then the altos get it, and they get it with the same intervals above. It's perfectly standard. It makes sense. It, I guess it looked bold when I first looked at it, but once you look at it closer, it's probably right. It's an interesting exercise, and it is one that is used in harmony and theory textbooks sometimes, which is like, okay, here is a soprano, tenor, and bass part. Reconstruct the alto part. Figure out what it has to be. And there are some right answers, probably not only one right answer, but there are a lot of wrong answers too. You cannot, as we've mentioned before, you cannot go in parallel motion exactly with another voice in octaves or in fifths. That's a major rule, but there are other rules too, and you have to follow them. Otherwise, it doesn't fit the style. So as I mentioned, after a first few measures of a joyful choral entrance, in which the sopranos are just another one of the parts with the choir, but then after that, like, you do get the sopranos giving the declamatory long note melody like Bach likes to do with these chorale fantasia first movements. That does happen. And if you know the tune, that's where you go, hey, I know that. And as he likes to do, he straightens out this tune and makes each note just like a long note. Here, it's every measure. This is very similar to the Wachtalf one where he just stretched out that melody and the rhythm of the melody is actually lost. because it needs to fit the structure of what he's doing harmonically underneath. So after these long notes, we sometimes get a little bit of extra filigree from the choir. And then of course, in between each of the lines of text, there are always these instrumental interludes and they're always based on the material that was set up at the very beginning. Thank you. 
So then we come to the second half of this. He for us from our mother's womb and childish steps, countless great good has done and still continues to do. And the English translation here, if you know it, it's pretty similar. We get from our mother's arms there, but it's pretty similar otherwise. And because the soprano is singing the melody in long notes, that part doesn't always end at the same time as the others, like I had mentioned. But one really nice moment happens at the last line, where it says, has done and continues to do. And there, everybody lands together on the last chord, which is on the word getan, which jetzt und Jetzt und getan would be like now and has done, right? Und noch jetzt und getan. Still has done now. So done, complete, finished, has done. And then that's the end of the choir part, right? It would be. It normally would be. You finish the line of text. You finish the verse. Then we should have an instrumental coda. That is what we would expect. But now we are coming to my moment for this cantata, which did that thing to me that I love when I hear something by Bach. It gave me that like surprise smile. I went, whoa, cool. And what it was, was, what do you think it was, Christian? I think it's when the choir gets to sing along with the ritornello thing and end out yeah. and close out with the instruments, which is unusual. It is, but it was kind of foreshadowed in the sense that they also got a little extra material at the beginning, right? Now, they didn't get it during the intro, but they got it right after the intro. I don't think they've got to sing during the ritornello material. No, they haven't. Yeah, but what I mean is at the very beginning of their entrance, it was not the melody yet, right? There was not the hymn tune yet. They did get a little extra material there, even though I wouldn't count that as part of the ritornello because it ends. So I'll display that here. Here is the ending, which is my moment. Here are the last eight or nine bars or so, and you'll hear in the last four measures, the choir gets to close out with the instruments. And now, let me play for you the last eight or nine bars of the instrumental introduction to this movement which is the same music in the instruments. It won't have a slowing down at the end of it because, you know, we're not at the end of the movement yet. And it also is missing those choir parts there. In fact, they come in right at the end of it to start the rest of the normal material. So here's how that sounds. So that's why that ending one is my moment, because it's pretty unusual for Bach to add a little tag at the end like that. It's unusual in the first place that the soprano part has anything but the long note chorale melody in this style of Leipzig opening movements, you know. Right. And I think it's because of that idea that he first had when he was writing this that he decided to close it out this way, too. Yeah, I think sometimes his sopranos, if they were like schoolboy boy sopranos, that's often the reason historically why we 
understand that he wrote the soprano part as the cantus firmus, that is the melody, that simple long notes over everything else so that the adults could sing the more complicated stuff underneath. Right. But in this case, he either must have had really good boy sopranos or actual women sopranos because they join in. Although it's not their part taken as a whole is, I guess I, you could say it's still much easier than the other three. It is, but it's it's a couple of fast parts. In, in line with the other three at some parts. Yeah. I mean, it's hard. And what's what's cool about this cantata, it's kind of the larger structure. I, I want to mention the third movement, but let's just talk about the structure because it's kind of cool. This is a short cantata. It's actually only three movements, and it also has two chorale fantasias on this tune, the first and last movement. That's interesting. He usually does not do that. Usually at the end, it's just a straight chorale, and a lot of times it's a different chorale tune. But here, it's another verse. In fact, all three of these movements are just the three verses of Now Thank We All Our God, which is a three-verse hymn. The first and last have triple meter. The first movement that we just heard is in three, four time. And then the last one is in a jig, which is 12-8, which is like small groups of three. And it's also a Trinitarian verse, the last verse. Yep, so Bach is very clearly using the triplet thing, the groups of three, to represent the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He does that a lot, and he's doing that here. Right, and everything about, I mean, even the second movement has some, it's in 4-4 time, but it the main instrumental motif is like this, da-da-da. like a little group of three notes. I might be stretching there because that's really not a Trinitarian verse. But if you want to, you can try to connect all of this to the number three and it does kind of work. Yeah, and those kind of things, like even even though on their surface, that maybe does seem like a stretch, but it's kind of not a stretch based on what we know about what Bach wrote and what he thought because he did. Right. He was kind of a number nerd. He liked totally. numbers. So he, it's not at all a stretch to say that bum, 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 bum is somehow meaningfully a use of the number three in the same way as the opening of Brandenburg Concerto number three, that kind of thing. Yep. And the structure of the keys in the movements also makes sense. It's the first and third movements are in G major, and then the middle movement is in D major. And that's just a macro structure that mirrors a micro structure of any Baroque or classical piece where it starts in a key, goes to a dominant, and it goes back to the tonic key. So it's very pleasing. If you listen to the whole thing all the way through, that is a particular effect that will only work on you if you listen to the whole thing all the way through, but it makes the last movement seem even more satisfyingly final Mm -hmm. because the three movements are in G, then D, then G. So of course, from a large scale perspective, that last movement feels final. And this is what composers of the next era, the classical era, were starting to do with sonata form when they were creating sonata form they wanted to make larger structures like that. Whereas in box day, even large pieces were not usually thought of in that way. And something like this is kind of a precursor to that. Yeah, it's pretty unusual in Baroque music, but Bach was a really big thinker. So he, and he, he had more experience than most Baroque composers with, I guess, large scale choral composition, you could say, because of just the, the amount of work he did in that field. So sometimes Bach's, cantatas don't necessarily really hang together key-wise, but right. but sometimes they do, and it does seem a little bit intentional when they do, in this case especially where the structure is like a numerical thing, the number three, 
And so, yes, yeah. there is some precursor of like large scale tonal organization. That's definitely true. Yeah, I think so. And I really love in this third movement, all these, all these cool little suspensions and how the bass instruments hang over the bar line in this introduction. Also, again with the tonic dominant thing, the instrumental introduction here does the typical like one. And then goes to the five. And then when it goes back to the one, the choir enters. Cool, we get a verse of the Trinitarian verse of Now Think We All Are God. And then at the end, when the choir is done, here, the soprano holds that last note just a little bit longer than everybody else, which is perfect. Text painting for the last line of text here, and is and will remain now and forever. The word forever, Imerdar, gets held out even longer. Then we get the instrumental coda. It's not the same as the instrumental introduction. It basically goes straight to the four so that it can go back to the one, like, which seems weird, but it just, it's really the same thing as the intro, but moved up a fourth, if that makes sense. So that way, instead of going from one to five, which is the fifth interval up, you can just go from four to one, which is another fifth interval up. Also, I really love this, these 6-4-2 chords. Christian, you know what I'm talking about? And then mm -hmm. figured bass. If you look at these last few bars, there's a lot of these. So what that is, is like if there was a D major chord, then there's a C on the bottom. That C is a very strong tendency note. It's the seventh of the chord, and it's, it's at the bottom. So that's weird. It really wants to pull down. And, and then it pulls down, and wherever it goes, it's not going to really be final when it gets there because that's just an unstable chord. So it usually goes to a first inversion chord. And this happens in a sequence near the end, which is just so satisfying, where you get a bunch of these in a row as the notes fall down in the bass. finally make it to the concluding section. So this brings us to the end of the short cantata. A great one to program if you want something that's a little more focused on specifically the hymn text and super joyful throughout with no sort of downer movements, um, nothing slow everything major key. The middle movement is a nice soprano and bass duet, but the other stuff is like a great showcase for four-part choir. And everything is just so joyful, despite 
the circumstances in which it was written. It's amazing to think about Martin Rinkart and that story. And I'm reminded again of that first word we hear from the first movement, where Bach doesn't just set a text, Nun danke dale Gott, and just move on, but he sits on the word Nun, and he proclaims that boldly. And looking back at my favorite moment again, right at the very end of the first movement, when we get that unexpected choir coda, what does he do there again? He does that again. We get a rhythm that sounds like this. Nun danket alle Gott nun. On beat two this time. Another very clear proclamation of that word now. And then another final statement. Nun danket alle Gott. The word now there in Martin Rinkart's writing. Even now, even right then, in that time of war and famine and pestilence. Now, thank we all our God. And now here is the ending of the opening movement of the chorale cantata, Nun Danket Alle Gott. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of the cantata, please see the link in the episode description that we'll provide to see this performance by the Netherlands Box Society. This would be a great time to subscribe to us if you haven't already done so, so that you would never miss an episode of A Moment of Bach. We have started up our fourth season now. We'll keep going until into October. I thought you were going to say we'll keep going until we run out of material, but... But we never will. We're not going to ever run out of material. So. Then we'll do another season after that. Okay, Christian, what are we talking about on episode two of season four? What do you think? Do you Have you figured out the pattern by now? What I always pick for my oh. first <laughs> episode? Oh, yeah, that's right. Of every you season. are going to pick a moment from BWV61. That is correct. As is your tradition. Yeah. It has six parts, and we have covered parts one and four and six. So let's do part two, which is a tenor recitative. Der Heiland ist gekommen. That's what we'll talk about next week. Until next time, enjoy those moments. Mm-hmm.